Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. Well, uh, hello, Mike. Hi. Hi, Dan. (laughs) Hey, Tom. (laughs) Hey. Uh, So, when we were all talking about what we should talk about this week, I thought we should talk about apps. Uh, and most specifically the apps that we make at Studio Neat and kind of uh, our history doing that and kind of how we think about them. Uh, because I think for most people, we're known for the hardware products we make. But uh, really, we've, you know, we've made uh, four apps and some of them have done pretty well. And we've spent you know, quite a bit of time making them and kind of thinking about them. And um, I think we make pretty good apps. We probably make relatively better apps than we do hardware things. So I figured it would be good to kind of just talk about all that stuff and our approach um, to the apps we make. Yes, you, you guys, your app strategy is really interesting to me because I know many people that make apps. Lots of my friends are app developers um, but that's their like that's what they do for a living like that is mm-hmm. their business and like it seems like at least more recently anyway um, the apps that you guys make are complements to the hardware products right yeah uh, for the most part yeah I mean it yeah, wasn't always part, that yeah. way though like I remember you know obviously um, well one of the apps that you guys made maybe it was your first one Simple Bracket right which was the March Madness Basketball app that was our second well, app yeah, so I, I think maybe one of, what we should do first is just I'll go through like a little history of the apps we've made, just a little overview, um, yeah. tell a little story. Um, so I have some stuff written down here so that I can remember with some numbers. Um, but basically, we, uh, the first app we made uh, was in, we started it in 2011, um, and it was for iOS 4, and it, it was uh, called Framographer. And Framographer is basically an app that lets you uh, take time lapse or stop motion videos, basically. So you, you know, put the, you take your phone and you basically set it up to either take a bunch of frames, like on a constant interval, you know, like every three seconds, just take a picture or you manually take a picture when you're doing like a stop motion animation or something. And this, that app started because we're like, oh, you know, stop motion and time lapse is really awesome, but there's not a great app for it. And hey, we make this thing that's the glyph, and you usually want to use a glyph when you're doing one of those two activities. And so we just thought it made a lot of sense. Um, Did you advertise the glyph in the in Framographer originally? Uh, no, no. So originally it was like just a paid app, and you know this was like 2011, right? So the mindset for apps was very different, right? It was like we're going to make this product that's an app, and we're going to sell it for money. People will buy it and like it. And it will just be a product. And it's simple, right? Straight and we'll make a million dollars because it's right. Apps, or... Yeah. And so, you know, we, uh, I think we got, fe- yeah, we got featured by Apple. Um, the response was pretty good. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we actually still sell Framographer for $5. Uh, oh. And it didn't, we, we changed the price over time. But now, yeah, we still have it at $5. And it's our only app that we actually now charge for. Um, Does it still sell pretty well? Like... Yeah, so uh, it sells okay, not enough to, 
really be like significant um, for us. But um, yeah, I yeah, I don't know what your definition of okay is. I mean, we sell like a single digit number of copies a day, don't we? Yeah, but it's yeah. like five bucks, so it feels like snack money or something. But it's still, I mean, I think selling a, any amount of every single day for a five dollar app is is I think pretty successful in the current market. Yeah, I think so. So you know, we have about one point four thousand monthly users. Like 1,400 monthly active users on Filmographer. And like over, we, we only started tracking these downloads with uh, app figures like in like mid 2012. So we have lots of, we don't have some of the initial spike, but it's like 21,000 downloads in total. So that one's pretty good. Um, and, you know, I think we both are interested in keeping it alive and, and we're strongly considering just like completely redoing it and making it, you know, maybe making it free or just completely rewriting it. Um, so that's maybe for the future. So anyways, that was Firmographer uh, in 2012 is when we released it. And then the next app was Simple Bracket, which is like a, a huge departure. That was like for NCAA here in the States, NCAA March Madness Basketball. So basically there's, you know, uh, March Madness is like a NCAA college basketball tournament every year. And um, Dan is a bigger basketball fan than me, but I like watching it. And none of the app, like none of the apps out there were really like awesome and really kind of were nice and like catered to our sensibilities, like our designy and, and everything was like covered, covered in like Hooters girls and like Chrome and stuff. And so we wanted to make something kind of just that had an, a different aesthetic bend to it. So, um, so we decided to make Simple Bracket, which is basically just an app that lets you uh, track and, you know, kind of do the March Madness um, kind of tournament game that everyone does every year, or a lot of people do every year. And uh, that was an interesting uh, app because we launched it with a Kickstarter. Uh, we could talk about that later, but basically we launched it with a Kickstarter and um, we had like 7,500 downloads and we... And it the app only really works during the March Madness tournament, which lasts about like a month or so. So really, it was a very short life of an app. Um, and then since then, we have not decided to re kind of do Simple Bracket again because we have to like do you know kind of really be intensely working on it when the tournament's running. And we've decided to kind of just like discontinue it. Um, but that was a fun one, kind of kooky but really cool. And then last year, November 2014, we released Slow Fast Slow, which is an app for controlling the speed of video. So basically, if you take like a high frame rate video, like 60 frames a second, 120 frames a second, we give you a little timeline where you can change the speed of the video as it's playing. So kind of like what you can do in Apple's uh, standard camera app, but a lot more nuanced. You can have more fun. You can reverse it. You can do some pitch correcting and stuff. Um, so that one's just kind of like a little tool. And that one like went crazy. So we got featured by Apple, uh, featured for a while. And to this date, we've had like 740,000 downloads. And it's only been over a year. And we have like 56,000 monthly active users on that one. So that one, uh, and it still gets like $700 a day or $1,300 downloads a day. So that one is like, I think really kind of cemented its place as the app in the app store you use if you want to like control the speed of video, basically. So, which was interesting, right? Because when you guys were first working on it, the iPhone didn't do the the slow frame rate stuff, did it? If I remember rightly, like you started working on it before it did that. 
we started working on it before before it did that, but we released it after it could do that. Yeah. Which is why I find it so interesting that it has done so well and continues to do so well, right? Because the iPhone does slow down video. And I know that it does a lot more, but you have to be in the app and really understand it to see like the more that it does. I guess it is just something people want to do. Yeah, I think it's just like the Apple the Apple way is just like built into photos and it's it's uh extremely simple. You you basically if you have a slow motion video that you shot, you basically just have an in point and an out point of kind of when the slow motion starts and ends. Mm-hmm. And so slow fast slow is kind of like the next step up where it's like, oh, if you want more granular control to than what Apple provides, then you'd need something else. Yeah, because it turns out that this is one of those like interesting things where um, Apple validate a need because now people, the, what I assume has happened is people are using slow motion video on their iPhones and then they're like, oh, I wished I could do it after the fact or I wished I could make it go a bit quicker here and I could slow it down at different points. So then they search the App Store. Like that's how I imagine that the app has been popular. And in a weird way, Apple actually adding slow motion video support to the camera is probably what made the app so successful. Yeah. Like put it on everyone's radar, right? They like, you know, they know it exists and you know, it's so uh, slow fast slow is free, um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, obviously part of the reason why it has like three quarters of a million downloads. Right. (laughs) Um, So that, and then um, just earlier this year in April, we released highball, which is a cocktail recipe app basically um and so highball uh basically lets you create and share cocktail recipes and then it comes with a little library of kind of the classic standard cocktails that you can kind of import into your own recipe collection and then you know reference and use and you know obviously we made highball to you know go with the cocktail uh, hardware we've been making and complement it um and so, yeah, that one has done pretty well as well. It's uh, to this date, it's got 121,000 downloads, not even a year in. So that's pretty good. And about like 12,000 monthly active users. So that one, um, a lot of people seem to use it like pretty frequently. It, it, it seems like 10% of the users seem to kind of use it uh, every month. So that's pretty great. And, um, you know, I think uh, it's been fun. We're actually just updating it right now. That's what I've been doing the past couple of days. Uh, and for us, it's really nice because we, it's like a way for us to um, kind of augment our cocktail tools with like content. And I think we are always thinking about how we can um, kind of support the like home bar cocktail enthusiast. And I think Highball is a really great gateway into doing that. So I've been really happy. I mean, Dan, do you, how, how do you, I think Highball is my favorite app we've made like in general. What do you think? Um, I, I don't know. I only see the flaws, so it's, it's hard for me to, <laughs> oh. uh, to judge these things. <laughs> oh. Well, I can judge them, but I would judge them really negatively. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, just for like a, a, a different, uh, barometer of success. I was really proud of simple bracket. Uh, just because I thought it was a clever design solution for a problem that nobody had really cracked yet, which is how do you display a 64 team bracket on a tiny, you know, four inch screen? 
And I thought our solution was really clever. And then that was somewhat validated by the fact that uh, both ESPN and Yahoo basically ripped off the UI concept in for you know for their march madness stuff you know following the release of simple brackets so, thanks guys yeah that was i mean we're not <laughs> making the app anymore so i can't be too bummed about it uh so that was just kind of nice validation so that i think uh is kind of like the design that i was most proud of um but uh highball is certainly seems to be the app that I use the most because all these other like Framographer and, and slow fast slow are kind of these tools that are nice to have on your phone, but you don't necessarily use all the time. Whereas highball, you know, if you're making cocktails somewhat regularly, you keep coming back to it. I, I think there was, there's a couple, I mean, Tom, you gave kind of like an overview of all our apps, but there are some, uh, potential talking points, uh, for each, like for example, you mentioned slow fast slow is free, but that's not how it started out off. And I think for the first year of its existence, it was a paid app, and it did like it barely made any money, right? We were selling it for one ninety nine, and it was just kind of languishing as most apps do. Um, and so that's when we got the idea to start to rethink of apps not as a way to make money in and of themselves, but to be kind of promotional vehicles for other stuff. And I yeah. think that was, that was a key transition when we started to change the way we think about apps. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe let's like talk about that for a bit, like step back and talk about just kind of like how we view these apps, like in the kind of range of stuff that we make. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, I think starting off our, I think our total mindset was like, initially apps were a product just like anything else we make and the relationship to the business is really straightforward it's a product people pay for it and that's that's kind of the end of the story right um but as you mentioned uh we kind of kept that attitude for a couple years knowing that it was like less and less likely that you're going to be able to make a lot of money or just a decent amount of money with that approach um and so when Slow Fast Slow came out. Yeah, it was one ninety nine, and it stayed that way for a while. But then, I guess it must have been in like just last year, twenty fourteen. I think we kind of changed our approach in general in terms of apps and how we're thinking about them. And now, really, what they have turned into are a really nice product and tool, but that's free. And the way they kind of feed into our business in a positive way is for a couple of ways. One, if we get if the apps are really good and we get them in front of a lot of people, um, they have a good impression about Studio Neat, right? It's like, oh, these guys make cool stuff. I wonder what else they make. Let me learn more, right? So we hope that that's happening. And then the other side is kind of a more straightforward, which is we actually put a kind of a mini little store inside of each app. And so um, in Highball... You, there, our logo is kind of on the home screen in the bottom left corner. And when you tap it, a little sheet comes up with our cocktail products. It's like, you know, here's the neat ice kit. Here's a simple syrup kit. Here's a tip jar. We're adding the salt tray right now. And you can actually purchase those products in the apps. So you can pay with Apple Pay or you can kind of get kicked over to our website and complete the transaction there. So it's kind of a little advertising for us that's very targeted and kind of has still has a nice experience. So... At this point, I think Dan and I have realized that 
you know, it doesn't, it's unfortunately not really feasible to think about an app as a really straightforward product where you make it, someone pays money for it, and then that's just the end of the transaction. They're, it's kind of, they're more complex now, right? They're kind of marketing vehicles, advertising vehicles, a sales channel. So they've turned into more of a complex thing. But I think I've been really happy with that transition. Like the the fact that Slow Fast Slow kind of ballooned and to have that many downloads, um, I think really shows that uh, there's there's a real advantage to having an app being free and it can really suit those kind of uh, goals that, you know, we kind of set forward of, you know, kind of being in someone's pocket, our name being known, that sort of thing. So, all, you know, all these apps have changed over time. And I think going forward, we are going to continue that path, right, Dan? I mean, like, if we were going to make a new app today, it would definitely be free, right? And we would probably approach it in the same way. Probably, yeah. I mean, we've always talked about, uh, you know, variations on that theme where it's like maybe it has in-app purchase for more pro features or whatever. But yeah, I think uh, starting off as free seems to be the uh, the kind of agreed upon way to do things these days. And that's, you know, that's always been shifting. That's obviously not how it always was. And so we kind of just like uh keep our ear to the ground in terms of you know what what people think is working these days i mean i always thought well since you first started doing it i think with with slow fast slow that that your method for using apps as marketing for physical products is genius and i'm surprised i hadn't seen it anywhere else before because it puts your physical products in a completely different store because people download the apps and it's like a Trojan horse in, in a good way, right? <laughs> it's like there's a little store inside that if you like the app, you'll love this product because it actually makes the whole experience better if you have them together. Like apps like Framographer and Slow Fast Slow benefit from having something like a glyph because you get better control over your camera. And if you download a cocktail app, you probably want cocktail equipment. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're fussy enough to not only download the cocktail app, but get the like nice designy one, like yep. it, you, it matches the sensibility. So I think it's partially like self-selecting. And so, yeah, yeah. like, you know, I, I think it's really important to us. Like when Dan and I make these apps, we really are, the way we think about them is, wow, we really want to make this app how can we figure out a way for it to make sense? So we really do still focus on the product of the app, like being standalone awesome. And then it's really like, how can we shoehorn <laughs> a way to generate revenue or like advertising into that product that we really want to make? And I think that's why the apps, I think, don't feel really kind of like too pandering or like weird or like too advertising-y because the app itself is actually really useful and good. It's like, I think it's by far the best cocktail recipe app on the store. Um, and you know, and all of our apps are really highly rated, uh, which I think we're both super proud of that. Um, and so I think, yeah, like that, the fact that we can kind of keep the apps as like good standalone tools themselves. And then, you know, on the side have some kind of like synergistic marketing advertising thing is really awesome. Uh, the downside of that, however, is if there's not a really good fit, like say we had an app idea but it just didn't make sense to advertise any of our other products in it or there wasn't it just they didn't support each other or something you know we probably wouldn't really be able to make the app unless there was like a strong revenue like 
you know, kind of source behind it. Because, yes, I mean, the reality is because Dan and I are both so like product focused and so into kind of quality, it takes us a long time to make these apps uh, because we put a lot of effort into them. And so if we can't kind of at least convince ourselves it's worth it. Uh, somehow then you know we can't do it i think that's just smart business though really like i think these days it's getting a lot harder to to make money on the app store um and considering you guys already have a business and i can't imagine that you would ever want to be full-time app developers really there's kind of no point pursuing a an idea that doesn't make sense for like to, to grow the rest of the business right does that make am I making sense there? Like you guys make physical products, right? And that's what you love to do mainly, I suppose. So if you had a great idea for an app and decided to pivot your business towards it, you might end up sacrificing the, the other stuff. I don't know. The way I see it is we like to do both. Uh, I I don't know how I, w- I would rank which we like to do more, but it I always like saying this is how we really should be app developers because that's what our expertise was prior to starting studio neat. Like we kind of have no business making hardware stuff uh, because, you know, I was doing UI design and Tom was a software engineer. Like those were our occupations prior to starting studio need. So it makes much more sense for us to be making apps than doing all this physical stuff. So that's what we like to do. And it's kind of like our natural um, thing we were doing previously. But now that we have a business, uh, it definitely feels like the apps are something we make to kind of fulfill a a, a kind of desire we have just because they're fun to make and we want this, we want the app to exist. So we make it, but they are generally, uh, poor business decisions uh, to work on. And so it's basically we are fortunate in that we have the hardware to support us to where if we want to take these little diversions, we can afford to do that uh, because the hardware is supporting us. Right. Like another approach we've been wanting to take but not find the right opportunity is a piece uh, a product that actually needs software and needs hardware at the same time. And so that was well, one of the motivations Obi. for making Obi, right? Yeah. Is yeah. So it's like, oh, hey, I know a way we can make apps uh, and have it make sense. Is like, let's make a product that needs an app, right? Um, and because I think for Dan and I, it's always like an itch we want to scratch. Is like designing interfaces, uh, making software, all that things, all that stuff. And so Obi was. Um, you know, that was a nice kind of side effect of it. Um, and I don't think we've given up on that, but I think that is definitely a, an approach that we will want to take in the future is, is kind of find opportunities to do both. So, so that, so that could be really cool. Um, but yeah, it just didn't work out that time, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, well, it's funny. What's funny. Cause we almost like built the app. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> that's what's so crazy about Obi. It's like, we probably, I mean, the first ninety percent goes really fast, but we probably got like ninety percent of the way there with like the Obi app, which is like funny. Uh. Yeah, I, it's one of like I, I'm trying to find the words and make them not insensitive, but like you kind of wasted that time. Oh no, totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you know, in in software development, it, especially the way at least I do it, is like I can really get ninety percent of the way there and ten percent of the time, and, and then it's like. 
the last 10% takes all the time. And I think it's that last 10% that the polish is, is what we do really well and kind of what uh, makes our apps good in some ways. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's easy to get far really fast and then it just takes a long time to kind of fix everything and polish it all up. Um, who does what with the app development? I do the, I mean, it's, it's, split fairly cleanly between uh design and development so i'll generally do the lion's share of the ui design and typically most of the visual design as well we've we've hired people to help with visual design in the past but sometimes uh we just handle it ourselves and then tom does all the development yeah so it's funny uh we it's funny we've we kind of usually do that same dance where Dan usually conceives of and designs the UI and then, you know, I implement it. Um, sometimes I think we've, we've kind of mixed it up a little bit more. I remember one time, uh, I guess this was for, oh no, you did it for, yeah. So for slow, fast, slow, Dan did something really awesome. So we knew slow, fast, slow, it was iOS 7 was coming out. And so we knew, it, you know, it needed to look flat. And so it was really going to rely on animations and transitions to kind of feel rich and nice. And so we knew they're going to be really important. And so uh, we wanted to do a lot of really nice stuff. So Dan, <laughs> this is how awesome Dan is. So Dan designed the app and then literally in After Effects animated every single transition, every single screen uh, for slow, fast, slow. So like literally he sent me a video that is like, it's was basically indistinguishable from the app that we eventually wrote. Like it had everything, like everything popping up, like what happens when you click a button, like the entire story. Um, and that's like really, really awesome as a developer to have, because it's like a complete perfect roadmap of like timings for the anime and you know we often make a lot of custom animations and custom controls and stuff so there's a lot of questions that we you know i always have as a developer like oh how fast should we make this and there's definitely a whole process we can get into about how we kind of refine all that stuff but you know the first pass is always usually dan sending either screenshots or um you know sometimes like a whole after effects animation which is like completely awesome uh and really cool um dan do you think you'll ever do that again uh, sure. I think it just depends on what the situation is. I mean, we didn't do it. I didn't do it for highball just yeah. because for whatever reason, it could just be explained with screenshots and words. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if the situation calls for it. Well, that's like, you know, an example of you two knowing how the other one works. Right. Like that, yeah. that, that's an example of how the reason that you guys work so well together is because you understand that, like that, that, that you will both benefit in that scenario. So you, it's just the work that you do, right? It's the way that you get things done. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's true. Um, yeah. I think it also just speaks to how fortunate we are to have a wide breadth of skill set. So, like, I, couldn't do any kind of fancy, uh, you know, computer graphic effects, like film effects in After Effects or whatever. But I just know enough of it from, you know, past projects in school or whatever to where, you know, I can do an animation like that. So it's like, uh, 
the whole kind of jack of all trades, master of none thing, I think actually serves us super well in that we can just, uh, we can kind of have the skills, even if they're somewhat rudimentary to, uh, to do all these things. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's funny. That's kind of how we started on this journey uh, of like making apps is I remember we had an idea for framographer and I had never done, I had done development before, but never on iOS or anything like it. And so we just like dove in, basically, we were just like, let's do this. And we started mocking up what it should be. And we were both really familiar with iOS, like as a platform. So it's easy to design for. Um, and, you know, we just kind of learned what we needed to learn to get it done. And so I don't know, I think in general, it's more, I think it's not necessarily that we're a jack of all trades, master of none, but really, I think our attitude of we have a goal and let's just like learn and do what we need to do to get that goal done as quickly as possible, right? I think we're both really good at learning just enough to do what we need to do and not more and not kind of super getting obsessed about learning some tool or something needlessly. So yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree that 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 kind of lets us um, kind of go all over the place and have fun and make these apps. And So, I mean, this has been a pretty good overview of the way that you guys have done things and the way, the whys that you do them in. Um, and I definitely feel the pull from you both that this is, this is something that you would maybe like to be a much bigger part of your business than it is. But now you've kind of found this way that it works pretty nicely to support the other things that you do. So what do you mm-hmm. think you're going to do next, like in, in realistic terms, like even though you have ideas for little standalone projects, like what do you actually think that you would do next in the realm of app development? And do you think you'll just stay iPhone as well going forward? Um, well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, uh, and so if I'm just like imagining in my head our, our roadmap for the products uh, we're thinking of working on in 2016, they're all hardware, uh, with the exception of maybe like doing a major refresh of Framographer. Um, and we have one idea for, uh, another app that we really want to build, but it's just like not anywhere on the horizon. Like all these other things take much higher priority do you ever think in the future that you could have an idea for an app that that you then build a hardware product to go along with it like the other way around uh, oh absolutely totally i think uh because because for us it's like we don't make we don't make the distinction between hardware and software from the in the very beginning the the real thing is like what is the problem like oh this problem exists or this like experience is crappy how can we do it well and if it ended up being that you know uh this piece of software would really solve the problem but it needs some like hardware display like i don't know accessory object um we would totally approach that however i think it would the way we would end up selling it right is you buy the object and then you get the app for free, right? It's like hard, you know? So it kind of always privileges the hardware object. But I could totally see a software-oriented problem be the impetus for some, you know, physical object. Like, definitely. One thing I wanted to mention about um, the framographer refresh, if we do that, um, is, you know, kind of one... We we still don't know where we want to go with it, but one approach that we might take is actually make kind of more of a pro level app for uh, 
like make it really, really pro and like really nice. And which means we could maybe like charge a hefty amount of money for the app. So take the completely opposite approach of free and go like, to, you know, uh, a more expensive app and kind of really just own that space um, was one approach we were kicking around. So I feel like we haven't lost all hope in terms of the kind of like app as product thing, but um but yeah, who, I mean, who knows where that will go? But I think, you know, I think we still kind of have hope that that could work out if it's the right idea and if it's, you know, the right approach. Yeah. Even if we did that, though, I think it would be we would still probably do the like free with in-app purchase thing. Even You know, if the in-app yeah. purchase is, you know, $10 or $15 or even $20 for these quote unquote pro features, I think it would probably be a mistake to... Uh, have that as the initial price instead yeah. of an in-app purchase. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, because that enable that like sets a precedent as well for you to add more in-app purchases in the future. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, if 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 we were in that, you know, if we were in that price range, that would be a huge product for us. Like, not only could it actually make some decent re- like real revenue, it would take. I think for us to charge that much, we'd put a lot of time into it. So I think we are still willing to think big kind of with these. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's hard to find the right. Well, what's, what's stopping right you? Like what has to happen for you to go ahead and make framework for pro? All these other products that are much more likely to make money. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Uh, and app in the app store. Uh, it's like, yeah, the sad reality is we have a business uh, and we have to, you know, make smart business decisions. We can't just base our decisions off what we're most excited about working on. Um, and I, you know, and I'm actually really excited about all these hardware products coming up, even maybe more so than a framographer refresh. The thing that bugs me the most about framographer is just, it's really long in the tooth. Like it's kind of a pride thing where I just want to update it just mm-hmm. so it's, you know, refreshed and fits, you know, the UI style of, of the current OS, uh, rather than being this kind of like, uh, old, old style UI. And, and it's, you know, it's not even updated for the new phone sizes and stuff. So it's more of just like wanting it to be a product, uh, you know, we can put our name behind. Um, but yeah, the fact that, uh, it's unlikely to, to generate a significant amount of revenue is the main barrier. Um, but I think that is, the whole kind of glittering lure thing of the app store is it really is like a lottery. There is a chance like there is, it's unlikely that a, 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 a refresh frameographer would generate a significant amount of revenue, but it could. And that is like the thing that uh, kind of keeps us coming back in some ways. So the example that always comes to mind is um, the manual camera app which uh, I'm pretty sure made a ton of money. Like I, I, I think it made like a six digit, you know, amount of, of revenue. I think it was the number one over overall app for a while. And um, that is an app that we could have made. I mean, taking nothing away from the developers like that. It, it's a, it's a well-designed app. Um, so that like it had that going for it, but there's also like a tremendous amount of luck and timing involved. Right. And, and they had good marketing too. So that was another thing that they had, but it was like, everything just came together at once to allow that app to succeed. And so 
we're, we always, I think, or at least I always hold out hope that that is a possibility for anytime we put out an app. And I think everyone thinks that, uh, but that is super rare for everything to come together perfectly for that to happen. But, uh, the fact that it occasionally happens, I think, uh, gives people that a little sliver of hope. All right. So here's something for you, a little thought experiment on your iPhones or your iPads. Are there any apps that you guys use, um, that you wish you would have built? I mean, there's tons of apps that I love. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, I'm just looking at my first home screen (laughs) here. Uh, so I'm going to throw out like, you know, Tweetbot and Instagram and, and even overcast, like those are just like super heavy apps. Like they're very complex and involved and generally we don't make stuff that, uh, complex. Um, and so the two that jump to mind are, uh, Weatherline, um, which is, it's just like a really nice weather, you know, I've tried several weather apps and it's the one that makes the most sense to me in terms of how I want to see the weather. Um, and then to do was another one, even though the app is not good right now, uh, just that basically that entire service, uh, again, is like a, it, uh, it makes sense with the way I think about to do items. And so, um, so I'm I'm somewhat jealous that they kind of nailed it. Which to do one is that? Oh, it's uh, T E U X D E U X. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to be just to be fancy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say looking at my phone, uh, like GIF Boom or any of those kind of GIF apps. Uh, we've actually like had an idea to make that an app like that. Um, I feel like we do a really good job, like a really good job making it. Um, and then, yeah, like a camera app, uh, in general, I think we can make a really good camera app and I wish we would have or would. Um, yeah, I'm still, I have no interest in a camera app if it can't replace the default camera. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm with you as it stands today. It's I I've never gotten over that friction of like not being able to launch it from the shortcut. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like you mean, you know, when you say replacing like not, not from a functionality standpoint, but from a, I want to launch the camera. Yeah. In iOS. It, like exactly. UI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I I would actually say yeah, dark sky. I'm always like crazy jealous of. Uh, that's a that's a big complex thing, but um, yeah, like a weather app in general or like dark sky in particular. Uh, I feel like I say I feel like we could do a really good job still making a weather app because I think we're really good at um, simplification and like UI and 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 kind of packing a lot of, you know, dense information into a small place in a clever way. And so, yeah, I feel like those would be my picks. You should make a Twitter app. I understand that's where all the, the money is. It's thriving. <laughs> Twitter app. I, you know, I think Twitter apps are uh, really complex, like super crazy complex. And the networking's complex and it's just like a whole... Yeah, Twitter a, a Twitter app is kind of my nightmare app because the thing I hate 
the thing the thing I enjoy the least of designing apps is the edge cases, like all the little the little things you're like, oh, I didn't think of that. I guess we need a screen for that. And that's like all a Twitter app is, is like the edge cases. It's like, oh, what if you do this? And then you're drilled into this and then you hit this. Uh, so Today was yeah, a, po- I, I a podcast client is exactly yeah, the same Yeah, so, so hats off to, uh, you know, the TapPots guy and, and Marco and all those like that. I, I have no interest in uh, doing something that complex. Like managing that amount of data and right. user preferences and trying yeah. to exactly. like, understand the finicky way that people want to do these specific things. And, you know, just having a network-based, like a network-slash-cloud-based app is just like, it's a real pain for maintenance and for reliability and for all of those edge cases that Dan was talking about. Whenever whenever your UI depends on data that you're pulling down from the internet, there are like a million edge cases and like empty states that you have to design for. It's like a real pain in the butt. So, yeah... yeah, like network attached apps and you know ones that depend on a service are a nightmare and i, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole like even even if we were guaranteed like hey this guy will give you you know uh this will like be your business you can make a business from it i just wouldn't want to have a business like running uh tweetbot because well i mean tweetbot is especially worse because your business relies on something that you can't control right which is yeah. twitter.com <laughs> yeah well and you know and it's a beloved app beloved app and so it's like the and they're and the people who use it are nerds like picky nerds and so it's like you have to keep up with it it's like you couldn't be lax ever like your update has to be out the first day that you know the new ios is out and so it's just kind of you have to be all in i like i never say that but we bought for ipad like well it went a a long time yeah priorities but it's just like (laughs) I don't think about us as a real development studio at all. Like we're, we're not like real, uh, even though the apps we make are really good. We are not tooled up to make like a complex app and support it over time for a long time. So, uh, yeah, those, those kind of things are a little terrifying. If you want to find links and show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm slash tc slash six. Don't forget, if you buy anything in the Studio Neat store and use the code HOLIDAYNEAT, you'll get yourself a lovely 10% off. We're going to be back now in January. We're taking a slight break for the holidays. Love to you and yours. Thanks for listening.